And uh, Mike, before we uh, finish, I know you took up the cards. Would you just kind of give us a tally of how many folks made commitments, like uh, so that at the end maybe how many new tithers and people made commitments to be tithers plus? Could you just kind of count those up before we go so we can announce that in a minute? Um, Listen to what the Bible has to say. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. Now, he's writing to the church at Corinth. He's telling what Macedonia church did. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the, into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently on the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, and said they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. So he urged Titus that just as he had begun, so should we also complete this grace to us, to you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others. I'm testing the genuineness of of your love. So what Paul was saying was, I'm wanting to test you to see how, God's wanting to test you to see how much you love me. In other words, are you going to love me enough to give something of yours and not just what's required? And that's what God's saying when he's saying about a grace gift. Are you wanting to give something that's yours and not just what's required of you and giving a tithe? And that's what this grace giving, I think, is all about. Some of the life lessons that we learn are learned by following examples. And there's two life examples that are given in the scripture here in Corinthians. One is a human example, the Macedonian church. And the other example is the example of Jesus Christ himself. And so the Macedonian church was born out of persecution, that church was being persecuted and existed as outcasts in the world. And according to the world, they had little to offer. But in God's eyes, that church at Macedonia did a lot. And uh, that's who God, Paul, was holding up as an example. So I want us to look at that. First of all, I want you to see their example. And that's the first uh, blank on the outline. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonia church. Their giving was described by three words. First of all, grace defined. Grace is a natural gift from God. Man's tendency is for us to get things, not to give them. And our tendency is to say, what's in it for me? And that's crept into our churches today, too. People come to church, and they'll ask you when you invite them to church, well, what does y'all's church have for us? What do y'all have for our children? What do you have for adults? What do you have for, what kind of nursery do y'all have? What's in it for me? And church never was really intended to be about us. Church is supposed to be about God. But the reality of it is we have such a service-oriented society that if we're not real careful, church becomes about us and not about God. And we take, uh, it takes a changed heart to give And that's what brings about that change is the grace that God gives us. 
And then there's the word grace exemplified. The Macedonians exemplified God's grace in their life by giving. And this was evidenced by a changed life. They accepted Christ into their hearts, and they gave because they had received grace of God. And then grace was denied. It's hard for people to give sometimes because they've never received grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. A non-Christian lives according to the sin nature. They always want to get rather than to give. Or they may deny grace because they're not aware of God's grace. And they need to let God's grace work in their hearts and in their lives. And so God's grace has been defined as stiff-arm love. God doesn't expect anything from us, but he keeps giving and giving and giving and expects nothing in return. And he loves us that way. The people of Macedonia gave according to their ability. That's the next blank on the outline. Notice what it says in the scripture in verses 2 and 3. Out of their severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. Even though they didn't have it to give, they gave it anyhow. And they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They did it entirely on their own. They were willing to give even though they didn't have the ability to give it. Now we often say something like this. Well, I gave as much as I could or I'll give what I'm able to or I'll give what I can afford. Y'all have heard phrases like that? I gave as much as I could, I gave what I could afford, or I'll give what I can, but that's not what the Macedonians said. They gave beyond their ability. My wife and I realized what that meant in terms of grace giving. My wife wasn't raised up in church. I was. I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I was drugged to a Baptist church from the day I was born. And uh, I was taught about giving. Now, back in the day when I grew up, Saturday night was not the night we went out and ate and all that kind of stuff. Matter of fact, we didn't have a whole lot to do that with anyhow. But Saturday night was when my mother and dad got us ready to go to church. That's when we had clothes laid out. All the shoes were shined. Yeah, that's what we did. All the Bibles were found. You know, get your Bibles, get them ready. All the offering envelopes were filled with money from our allowance that we got that week. We were taught how much allowance from our allowance went in that offering envelope and was brought to church. And guess what? I taught my daughters how to do the same thing. And my daughters tithe today because I taught them how to tithe. Your children aren't going to know how to tithe unless you teach them how to tithe right now. I taught them how to tithe. So we did all of that. So when my wife and I got off to seminary down in New Orleans, the only three years I've ever been out of Georgia was in exile in New Orleans for three years. And I'm down there in New Orleans, and we're in school. And I'm watching the football game, and we're watching the football game, and it, and, and um She's over there figuring the bills. I married way above myself. She's an accountant by trade and works for H&R Block and does taxes and runs a tax office, has for 28 years. 
And so she sold there figuring our bills and everything. I'm watching a football game, having a good old time. And uh, she says, Larry, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? I'm watching the game, you know, flipping from one channel, one game to the next. She says, uh, we don't have any money to give to the church tomorrow. I said, yeah, we do. She said, no, we don't either. She says, we, we can't give our tithe. And she says, actually, when I figure all the bills up, we got $23 left in the bank this month. I said, okay, where'd all the money go? I, I don't know. Y'all don't ever have that conversation in your house, do you? Where'd the money go? You know, $23 left. I said, okay. And she said, we don't have enough money to buy the formula for the baby. And Amy had a regurgitation problem when she was younger, and she was on the most expensive formula that money could buy at that time. And it cost more than $23 a month to feed the baby, that formula. And she said, what are we going to do? I can't write the tithe check. She said, and how are we going to make the ends meet the rest of the month? And I said, well, I don't know, but we're going to tithe. Write the tithe check. Are you crazy? I said, no, but I'm going to write that tithe check because I've always been taught tithe. So she wrote the check, and we went to church that morning, and I gave that tithe check, put it in offer plate. Knowing that we didn't have any groceries at the house, didn't have the formula for the baby, didn't know how it was going to come about. Monday, I go to the post office box on the way to classes, and after class, and check the post office box, get the mail, and there was a card in the mailbox from a couple in Oxford where I had been the student pastor, and it was from the lady that was in the church, and she said, Brother Larry, Tom and I made real good on the egg farm this month, and we felt like we would want to give some money to you. We know that going to school is rough and it's tough, and here's a, some money for you, and it was a check for $100. I looked at the postmark on that envelope, Mike. Postmarked Thursday before I decided to tithe on Saturday night. Tell me that God doesn't have a plan. I went to work that afternoon. I was a meat cutter. I left a little bit of that with in the meat market. Had an accident. And uh, so I get to work that afternoon, and I'm working in an all-Italian grocery store. They cussed in Italian so they wouldn't offend the Baptist preacher. And so uh, they're just having all these, the guys over at the produce counter, he's throwing all this day-old produce into this box. And his name, he owned the store, his name was Mr. Frank. And I said, what are you saying, Mr. Frank? He said, well, I'm just upset because I got all this produce that's going bad. I can't keep it on the shelf. I sure wish I knew somebody that could use it. I could. He said, you want it? You can have it all. I said, thank you. And uh, hey, I became one of the stars on campus because I got all kind of produce and all the students, we were starving to death with our families down there, you know. So everybody liked me. I was one of the most popular students on campus because everybody came to get groceries from my house. And from there on out, I got 
day-old produce and brought it home, gave it to my friends. And um, he said, well, that's great because I hate to throw it away. I'd rather somebody use it. And then the same afternoon, the young, the, uh, his nephew who owned the meat markets and he subleased from his uncle, who I worked for directly, I ran a meat market and he ran the other one, I had two stores. He found a box of Oscar Mayer beef wieners. Now, if you, any of you ladies buy hot dogs, you know that Oscar Mayer beef wieners, the most expensive hot dogs in the deli. And they still are. And they've gone out of date. When they go out of date, you can't put them on the shelf and sell them anymore. They're still good, but you can't sell them on the store. And he, Danny said, I can't believe that we've got this box of hot dogs. They've gone out of date. I can't sell them anymore. I sure hate to throw them away. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. And I said, I'll take them. And he said, you want a whole box of hot dogs? I sure do. And my wife got a article from Good Housekeeping Magazine, Angie, on a hundred ways to cook hot dogs. And I think she used every one of them that month. What am I telling you? God provided for us enough food and all we had to buy groceries on was $23 that month. But you know what? I tithed. God's grace provided for us, and He'll provide for anybody who's willing to test Him and take Him at His word. You can't afford not to give to God. A, on the outline, they gave what they had out of the most severe trial and overflowing joy. The illustration is Jesus commended the widow when he said this widow has put uh, in more than anybody had. Everybody was going by the treasury in the New Testament, and Jesus was standing there watching what they gave. Interesting enough. And all these people were giving a lot more than this widow did, but she gave, the Bible says, Jesus stopped and said, wait a minute, she's given the most because she gave everything that she had. She didn't give out of her surplus. She gave all that she had. She gave all of it. Let it be they gave beyond their ability. Rich generosity, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Ability is a key word here because their ability did not limit their giving. And neither should you in the coming weeks think about, I'm going to give what I can afford. Because that doesn't require faith, folks. You've got to think about, what can I give beyond my ability? I'll tell you a story. I told most of the leadership team when we were going through our training. Church 213 that I'm going on a mission trip with, the guy that's the team leader of that trip, of that church, Ken and them know that guy. Uh, Ken and, and uh, Joyce, I think, know who I'm talking about. He told me, he said, when we... I'm going to give 10% of the goal. Their goal was $400,000. We're going to raise $400,000. He said, God's put on my heart to give 10%. That's $40,000, folks. I'm like, you sure about that, Dean? He said, yep, that's what God's put on my heart to give. He said, but I tell you what, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I think he had two kids in college at that time. And I said, okay. And after the whole Harvest Sunday was over, and we'd all everybody made commitments, and everything was done. Ken came back, and he said, um, "I mean, Dean came back, and he said, 
called me one day and said, you will not believe this. They were doing this campaign right after 08 and right after everything kind of tanked. He said, you won't believe what happened. I said, yeah, I will. I've heard it before. He said, Holly went to the mailbox and she got a ch we got a check in the mail today on some junk stock that we thought wasn't worth the paper it was written on. We'd already put it in the drawer and just forgot about it. And the check was for $40,000. How much had he said he was going to give? $40,000. Did he know where it was going to come from? Uh-uh. But God provided it even though he didn't know where it was coming from. The people of Macedonia gave because they had a commitment to give. They gave beyond their ability. They gave because they had a commitment. They urgently pleaded for us the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Here's what I kind of imagine happened. Paul said, you know, I don't know that you folks, you know, y'all in such deep poverty, I don't know that y'all can afford to give, so maybe y'all shouldn't even take offering for the four in Jerusalem. And they said, no, uh-uh, you know, don't, don't keep us from giving. Give us the privilege of giving. Now, I don't know about Mike, but I don't, I don't know of anybody that I've seen in a Baptist church yet that said, preacher, give me the privilege of giving. Don't keep us from that giving. Please pass the plate. Yeah, that's good. You know, please give us the privilege of giving. And what they did, the Bible says first they gave to the Lord. It's a simple principle. If God is your priority, then giving to God becomes a priority. So how can you find out what your priorities are? I can tell everybody in this room where your priorities are if I look at two things, your checkbook and your calendar. That will determine what your priorities are, where you spend your time, where you spend your money. And then they gave to the apostles after the Macedonians gave themselves to God. They said this to Paul. Paul, what can we do to help you? And then they gave, last of all, to the saints, those people in Jerusalem. And then I want you to notice next what their purpose in giving was. Paul had a reason for describing the Macedonian example given. His aim was threefold. He said, complete what you started. You see, Paul had already sent somebody to that church at Corinth, and they hadn't finished what they started. They had started an offering, but they hadn't finished the offering. Verse number six, it says, so we urged Titus. He had earlier made an attempt at get, be, uh, beginning to bring it to completion to this offering. He said, y'all started an offering, but you didn't finish your offering, so I want you to finish what you start. Now, I don't know about y'all, but there's some things that I made commitments on to God, and I didn't finish it. What I want to challenge you to do is finish your commitment. If you make a commitment today to God, finish your commitment. And secondly, the purpose was for them to excel in giving. Verse number seven. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and your love for us, see that you excel in this grace of giving. In other words, he wanted them to learn that in, there was greater grace in giving. And then last of all, Paul encouraged them to give to prove their love. He said, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. So here's a few biblical illustrations of proving your love. 
Some may ask if it's scriptural to prove your love through giving. And the Bible screams out this word. Yes, it is true. You can prove your love through your giving. The richer and ruler claimed he loved God more than anything else. And Jesus said, prove it. Go sell everything you got and come follow me. And what did he do? He left sad because he wasn't willing to do that. The good Samaritan demonstrated how much he loved by binding up that man who was a Jew and taking him. Even though the Jews were supposed to, and the Samaritans were supposed to hate each other. Zacchaeus, who was a hated tax collector, nobody hated tax collectors, loved tax, uh, tax collectors in that time. When Jesus encountered his life and told him, come out of that tree and I'm going to your house and I'm going to be with you for the rest of the day, Zacchaeus' life was changed and he said, I'm going to give half of everything I've got to the poor. He proved his love for God. The Macedonians proved their love to God by giving. And now Jesus, God, Paul wanted the Corinthians to do the same thing. So we'll see the Macedonians example. But then I want you to look at the example of, the Philippi, uh, of Jesus himself. And you notice it says, For you know, in verse number 9, on the passage, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, although he was rich. Where was, why was he rich? He was in heaven. For your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you may become rich. The greatest gift and the greatest sacrifice of all times was the gift of Jesus Christ down on the cross. And three words describe his giving. Grace. The ultimate picture of God's grace is seen in Christ. He voluntarily, that's the second word, it wasn't forced for him to give his life. He went on the cross. It wasn't forced on him. But he gave his life for us voluntarily. It says there very clearly, although he was rich for, his, for your sake, mine and your sake, he became poor. He chose to become poor that by his poverty you and I may be rich. Last word is sacrificial. Though he was rich, he became poor. He gave it up to benefit us. So basically, here's the, the end of it. He who had everything gave up everything so that you and I who had nothing could have everything. Think about that for a minute. The Lord Jesus who had everything gave up everything. You and I had nothing so that we could have everything. We cannot give God. A few years ago, a story was told about a preacher who went on a mission trip to a leopard colony on the island of Tobago. I don't know if y'all have ever seen anybody that had leprosy. One of the guys that helped me start a church was a medical doctor, worked for the CDC. And he actually ran a leper colony in Louisiana. And uh, Dr. Gilson Daner attested that this kind of stuff actually happened. But this pastor went 
And when he went to this leper colony, they were asking the people there in that leper colony if they would share with them what was their favorite hymn, what was a favorite song that they wanted to sing. And uh, they were going to ask for favorite songs so that the people there that would sing their favorite song, what their favorite hymn was. And Pastor Jack said that there was a woman who had this hideous face because her face was eaten up by leprosy. And she went to raise her hand and her nose and her ears were entirely gone and her lips were gone. And when she went to raise her hand, her fingers were eaten all away. And all she had was a nub of a hand that she raised up. And she said, Pastor Jack, with a fingerless hand, would you please sing Count Your Many Blessings? And the pastor said he couldn't even begin to lead the song. He had to leave the room because he thought, here's this lady, eat up with leprosy, disfigured in her body, and even though she was so disfigured, she still recognized the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ as her Savior. And that somebody went out of the room and said, Jack, are you okay? And he said, yeah, but I won't ever sing that song the same way again because I realized how many blessings I've got on my life. Folks, we're blessed. Y'all are blessed to be a part of this great church. We're blessed to even be here today. Some folks didn't wake up this morning. And we need to count our blessings. And then we need to also realize that God's got even greater blessings in store. The best is yet to come. What God's got in store for you and I, it's in heaven. It's eternal. Not made with hands. And what's God got for us in the future? Let's pray together.